The Witch of Demon Rock by Gabrielle Kent. Prologue Beneath the Yew Trees. June 1417, Newcastle. Few remembered the origin of the yew topped hillock beyond the city walls. Those who did shuddered, crossed themselves, and held their loved ones close whenever they passed by. On this cool midsummer night, a hooded man stood in the shadow of the yews. He knew what lay beneath the earth. It was why he had come. Uncorking a bottle, he drew out a complex shape on the grass with a thick liquid that shone black in the moonlight. Sitting before it, he took a book from beneath his cloak and and ran pale fingers over parchment that crackled with age. He began to chant, a low drone in a language older than the hills and darker than the beginning of time. A family of bats chittered out from the trees, chased by words that should never be spoken. The chant repeated over and over, curdling the night as something began to emerge from the earth, a black wisp of almost nothing, barely a shadow. It rose to hover over the symbol that stained the grass. The chant went on. More wisp rose from the earth, like the blooming of a hellish garden. Under the force of the chant, they began to cling together, gaining in substance as a shrouded human form began to take shape, a wraith as black as the shadows that formed it. The chant stopped. The nearby forest held its breath. Closing his book, the man rose and threw back his hood. The wraith rippled before him, as if all the wisp were shivering at once. What am I to you? He demanded of the wraith in a voice cold as death. Master, replied a hundred whispers. Yes. A smile crept across his thin lips. Now go, search until you find that which was hidden. Find it, take it, bring it to me. The wraith turned and glided down the hill. The grass touched by its tendrils shriveled in its wake. As it disappeared into the forest, the night was filled with the rustling of creatures fleeing from its path. Chapter One, An Invitation. It was midnight on the first day of the summer holidays, and Alfie Bloom was teaching Orrin Hopcraft, the last of the great druids, the fine art of dunking biscuits into tea. You must give me the recipe for these, said Orrin, brushing biscuit crumbs from his plated beard. What did you call these little chunks? Chocolate? It's marvelous. I must find some. You'll have to wait over a hundred years for it to reach England, said Alfie, pouring another cup of Earl Grey tea from the pot he had carried so carefully through the secret door into the Druid's study before slipping six hundred years into the past. I'll bring more next time I visit. 
I shall consider myself very lucky to have a supplier in the future, said Orin, as he popped the last chocolate chip into his mouth and slurped the rest of his tea. Alfie couldn't help but laugh at the sight of the druid drinking from a delicate floral teacup. With the help of Ashford, the butler who Alfie had recently been astounded to discover was his own great-grandson, he had finally mastered his time-slip ability enough to travel to and from the past at will. Over the last month, he had been visiting the 1400s twice a week to train with Orin. It hadn't exactly been as exciting as he had expected. Most of the time so far had been spent meditating and focusing his mind, something that the druid had insisted was one of the most important skills to learn. Right then, said Orin, setting down his cup and saucer. One last attempt at a trance state before you return home. Alfie sighed and slipped from the footstool to sit cross-legged on the rug in front of the fire. He focused on the candle the druid had placed on a small table between them and began to breathe deeply. Releasing the tension from every part of his body, just as Orn had taught him, Alfie let everything but the flickering flame slip away. When it finally felt as though the flame was all that existed, he closed his eyes and allowed himself to gently sink into a deep state of relaxation. Breathing slowly in and out, he felt a sort of shiver in the air around him. He opened his eyes, except he didn't. They were still closed. But it was as though he had woken up within his own trance. He was floating in the darkness as a shimmering silvery light flowed from his chest and swirled around him. He held out his hand and little sparks danced in the air where it brushed his fingertips. The light seemed almost playful as it darted around him. Alfie began to trace shapes in the air and the light flowed after his finger, copying them. Eventually, he began to draw the shapes with just his thoughts. The light still traced each one perfectly, becoming more and more alive as Alfie tested it with more complex patterns. When he finally stopped, the light encircled him completely, forming a silver bubble in the center of which Alfie floated, completely relaxed. A tinkling sound broke gently through into Alfie's reverie, and he allowed himself to float upwards. The silver light flowed back into his chest as he returned to consciousness. He opened his eyes. Orin put down the tiny silver bell he was ringing and clapped his hands. Excellent, truly excellent. You reached a real trance state there. Your breathing was calm and controlled, and I felt a wonderful sense of peace radiating out from you. Orin beamed. Last month, you couldn't sit quietly for five minutes. I'd never have thought this possible. Alfie grinned. Me neither. In the beginning, I couldn't stop thinking about other stuff, but now I can just let it all flow out of my mind. He remembered how bored and frustrated he had been in the first couple of weeks and how pointless he had thought the relaxation exercise. Now, he actually enjoyed the sensation of slipping into the trance state. 
it had also made traveling between time periods so much easier. Something was different this time, said Alfie, as he stood and stretched his legs. He told Orin of the silvery light and the way he had interacted with it. Orin chewed the last chocolate biscuit as he listened thoughtfully. And do you know what that light was? he asked. Alfie had wondered if it was just a dreamlike vision, but it had felt like more than that, like it was a part of him. It was the magic, wasn't it? The ancient magic you hid inside me the day I was born? Orin nodded. I hadn't expected you to connect with it so quickly. It took me years. Perhaps the fact it has lived inside you for your whole life has made it more a part of you than it ever was of me. That connection with the magic will help greatly should anyone challenge you for it again. You must be able to control it, as it does not enjoy being suppressed. It wants to be used and will be drawn to those who would use it freely, despite the consequences. But that's not ever going to happen, is it? said Alfie warily. Everyone that ever knew about it has gone. I'm safe, right? Orin's eyes flickered from Alfie to the crackling fire. If time has taught us anything, it's that nothing can be assumed. The hairs on Alfie's arms prickled as he thought of the danger his inheritance had brought to him and his family and friends and tried to shake off the fear that was creeping over him. If I'm going to be challenged for my magic, I'll need to be able to defend myself. So what can you teach me? Orin smiled. I know you found this dull at first, but being able to control your mind is vital for the things I need to teach you if you are to be my apprentice. There is much for you to learn. Potions, herbology, spells, all of this will help you to protect yourself and your friends. It will involve some traveling. You will need to spend some longer periods of time here. Perhaps a week or two to start with. You mean... Come and stay in the past? Alfie's eyes lit up. In all his recent visits to the 1400s, he had not ventured beyond Orrin's study. The thought of exploring 15th century Hexbridge filled him with excitement. He bit his lip as he suddenly thought of his cousins, Madeline and Robbie, and his best friend, Amy Sue. They had so many plans for adventures during the summer holidays. Could my cousins and Amy come and stay with two? He asked. You've already met Robin when he got dragged back in time with me, and they all know about you. Please? Orin scratched his cheek. Hmm. They have already proven worthy compatriots. It may do them good to learn some of what I'm trying to teach you. Is that a yes? said Alfie, tensing for the druid's answer. They would be most welcome here, said Orin. Alfie punched both fists up into the air. But uh, we need to arrange this properly. I think it's high time I was introduced to your father. You realize that if you're messing with us, I'll have to kill you, said Amy, who was brandishing a jam spoon in a manner that had Alfie fully believing she could do real damage with it. They were sitting in Hexbridge, Hexbridge's newest cafe,
a Victorian tea room jointly run by Lizzie Tiptree, Amy's grandmother, and Gertie Entwistle, the town baker, the town's baker and sweet shop owner. No joke, said Alfie, staving off the spoon with his butter knife as Madeline and Robin clapped their hands. Orin invited me to stay for two weeks, and he said you could all come too. Weapons down, weapons down, said a small woman in a Victorian maid's uniform and white trainers as she passed by holding a gigantic chocolate cake. Ceasing hostilities, Gran, said Amy, sticking the spoon back into the black currant jam and holding up her hands. The four friends beamed at each other over a cake stand loaded with sandwiches and sweet treats. Ah, so what's one going to cheat you? asked Robin. Alfie shrugged. Part of being his apprentice is learning herbs, potions, and spells. He's going to teach me how to use them for protection. After everything that's happened since you moved here, that's probably a good idea, said Robin. Ooh, you should ask him how to teach you to create things like with your magic, like Ashford can, said Madeline. You'll be able to make anything you want, like a canoe, or a wooden fort, or a target range for archery practice. Hmm, aren't all those things are the, aren't all those things that you want? Don't you already have those all? Wait a second, Maddie. That aren't all those things that you want? Said Amy, giving her a nudge. I don't think I'll be doing any of that. Said Alfie. I wouldn't want to either. He shuddered. On the few occasions it revealed itself. The magic had more control over him than he had over it. Orin was right. It was too dangerous to use. The old druids were philosophers, herbologists, teachers, poets, astronomers, magicians, said Robin, his eyes shining. Just think of everything he could teach you, all that ancient knowledge you could bring back into the world. Sounds like you want those lessons more than Alfie, said Madeline. Amy drummed her fingers on the table. So, when are we going? Yes, said Madeline. There's so much to pack. I'll need my bow and arrows, my penknife, fishing hooks, walking boots. I don't know about the boots, said Amy. Won't we need to dress like we're from Orange time? You don't want to get burnt as a witch for wearing future clothes. <gasps> they didn't do that in Orange time, did they? Caped Madeline. Actually, the witch hunt started in Europe around 1450, began Robin. Hold your horses, said Alfie. Before you go packing and worrying about that stuff, this whole thing depends on whether or not Dad's okay with it. Orin wants to meet with him tomorrow morning, and it's going to be very difficult enough for Dad to get his head around the fact that I can time slip. Oh, Uncle, Rob Uncle Will's cool, said Robin. I'm sure he'll say yes, won't he? Alfie didn't answer, but under the table, he crossed his fingers tightly.